I would just sit down here with everybody for a while today. And if I could be so bold as to ask your permission, um, I'd like to do something that I haven't been able to do in quite a while. As David said, um, I have been going to the gym, and um, it's been quite... Um, actually, it's the first time I've ever enjoyed going to the gym, and I'm starting to see some results. But if you could just you know, give me permission for a minute while I tighten my belt a notch instead of loosen. It's like I realized sitting here, it was in the regular notch, but it was like, I can't have my pants fall down while I'm preaching. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, that talk about motivation. Um, <laughs> Wow, that's something. I don't think I'm going to use this stool. <laughs> There's something about that I don't trust. I don't know where our other one is, but uh, um, now that one's too short. We should have one that's padding, as I, because as I'm losing padding, I need more padding. So, oh yes, thank you. Yeah, this one, uh, this one will, the only thing with this one is I got my feet caught in it a lot, but that's okay. Um, Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5.17, when someone becomes a Christian, okay, if I can get that, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Welcome to week three of our series, Brand New. The last few weeks we've been talking about how Jesus doesn't just come to improve our lives, but He comes to make us new. He comes to make us brand new in every area. And so far we've talked about how He makes us new on the inside and how He makes us new on the outside. And He's, he's, he's doing that. He want, he's concerned about our inside. He's concerned about our, our, our hearts. He's concerned about everything inside of us, but He's also concerned about how we care for our bodies. And I shared last week that, you know, this, this uh, going to the gym all of a sudden for me was not a, um, <clears throat> not a New Year's resolution. Uh, it wasn't something I just decided to do. It was in response to God convicting me about being in the worst shape of my life. And that, um, yeah, he, he put on my heart. He said, you need to do this. So as much as I couldn't stand the thought of it. I went ahead and did it and joined a gym, and now I'm starting to actually feel better. So anyway, but he cares about the fact because he gave us this body. He gave us this body. He wants us to take care of it. Now, yes, we've got challenges. We've got issues. It's not about rock-hard abs. It's not about bulging muscles. We all know I have all of that, right? Um, but it's not about that. <laughs> yeah, some of you are laughing too hard. It's not about that. It's about being able to accomplish the things that he's given me to do while I'm here, because I do that with my body. I need my body for that. So, so you know, he cares about that. So he's, he wants to make us new inside and out. And today we're going to talk about another area that really affects every single person here. We're going to talk about being made new in our finances, we're going to talk about money. Money is one of those subjects that often, you know, gets put in the unspiritual category. But when we do that, we are totally missing something. 
because of the two of all the things that Jesus talked about, of all the things that he taught, there are two that he taught about more than anything else: money and hell. And yet, what two subjects do we find so hard to talk about in church? Money and hell. And I think there's there's a reason for that. You see, there's 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 something spiritual about money. It has a huge impact on our lives, and it wreaks havoc in our relationships. The number one cause of, uh, of marriages breaking up is arguments over money. And it's the, it's the source of much violent crime in our society. Often it's the reason for murder. It's the driving force behind the drug trade and behind human trafficking. But it's not money itself. Money itself is neutral. It can be used for good or for bad. It's the spirit behind it. There's always a spirit behind the money, and that's what drives it. I want to begin with the story that Jesus told of a business manager who wasn't doing a very good job of managing his employer's money. So the boss calls him in, says, you better get the books in order because you're out the door. You're going to be fired. And he's scared. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He says, I can't do this. I can't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm too old to this. I'm too, you know, not strong enough to do this. What, what, what can I do? So he, I know. Before he leaves, he calls all the people in that owes his, man, his, his master money, and um, uh, he makes a deal with them so that they uh, now owe only a fraction of what they did before. And then Jesus says this in Luke 16. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. I want to talk about that for just a minute. What does that mean? Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. That's always puzzled me. But here's the deal. Jesus is telling us to, help our, to, to use our resources to help others, to minister to others, to help the poor, to, to use it to support missionaries, to spread the gospel, use it for the work of the kingdom, so that when it's gone and when your life is over, in other words, when you die, those people you helped will receive you into an eternal home. They'll greet you as you're entering heaven. Someday when your life is over and you <clears throat> enter into heaven, there are going to be a lot of people there to greet you. And many of them, you're not going to have any clue who they are. Let me tell you who they're going to be. One of them is going to be that homeless person that you helped by supporting a shelter either volunteering at a shelter or financially supporting. One's going to be the compassion child that you supported through Compassion International. And you're going to say, I thought you looked familiar. I recognize you from your pictures. Another's going to be a woman you've never seen before, but she was rescued from sex trafficking because you gave to Destiny Rescue or the International Justice Mission or, or, or the Not For Sale campaign or one of those organizations. There's going to be someone who is ready to, to, to give up on life until you brought them to church, maybe for football Sunday, 
place that you, you, you supported to and gave to regularly. There's going to be those who were almost never born, but because you sacrificed and maybe put, put off buying that new uh, 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 entertainment system or TV or whatever that you wanted, you put that off a little so you could give to the Hannah house, and, and, because, and then through that, they were given a chance to live. There's going to be a young person who came to Christ because you used your worldly resources to support a group like Campus Life or Young Life. All these people that will surprise you and who are there because of how you chose to use the finances at your disposal. You see, when God blesses us, and He does, He blesses us immensely. We don't always think of it because we get so used to it. But when God blesses us, He does it so that we can bless others, not just use it on ourselves. He blesses us so that we can in turn bless others. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And if you think, well, I wish he'd bless me, he has. Everybody that lives in this country is enormously blessed, more so than the vast majority of the world. And I'm talking financially. Financially. Let's read on. Verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I want you to note something here. I want you to take a look at the word money. That's how most translations translate the word that's, that's there, as money or riches. There's a few translations, such as the New King James, that use the word mammon, and I think the, which is actually more correct. I, I think the, the reason newer translations, or most of them, use the word money is because we can relate to money, but when we use the word mammon, it doesn't mean much to the average person today. You see, the word mammon is, the word from which mammon is transliterated was actually the name of a Syrian god of riches. Syrian god of riches. And he controlled people through the love of money. And that same spirit's in the world today. It's, it's, it's not money itself, it's the spirit on money the love of money. And that's how one day the Antichrist, the Bible tells us the Antichrist is going to control the world in the end times by controlling the monetary system. Now, when you go home, we're not going to take time to read it, but if you go home, if you've never read it before, maybe if, even if you have, read the end of Revelation chapter 13 and see what it says there. You've all heard the term mark of the beast and all of that. You know, just go ahead and read that and what it says. It tells how the Antichrist will control the world's economy, that you won't be able to buy or sell without uh, uh, receiving a mark, whatever that is, a mark uh, uh, on your hand or on your forehead. And when you receive that, what it is, it's giving allegiance to him. Okay? Giving allegiance to him. Now, anyone who knows me 
knows I am not an alarmist. In fact, that kind of mentality is a huge turnoff to me. I'm not one that goes off, you know, whether it be politics, religion, anything else. I, I don't like that alarmist mentality. So that's not why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing this up because I think we need to be aware, and it's something that's not preached on a lot without that kind of spirit behind it. Anyway, it's easy to see that society is rapidly moving toward a cashless economy where you won't even be able to use cash to buy things anymore. And we need to realize that that day is coming. I don't know if it's 10 years, 20 years, 100 years. I don't know. I'm not claiming to know that. I'm just saying that it is coming. And that is how the, world, how, how the Antichrist is going to control the world's economy. We need to be aware of that. One day, all financial transactions are going to be cashless, which means you know the best we can figure out now is it's going to require a chip, much like on a credit card or a debit card. Now, how many people here use their credit card? or Well, hopefully you don't use a credit card. But how many people here use their debit card for way more things than they ever write a check or use cash for? Okay? Way more things. All right. What's the problem with the, deb with the debit card? It's easy. What else? It's good. You can lose it. Anybody ever lost a debit card? Huh? Or had it stolen? All right, well, um, that's the problem. So instead of a card, which you can lose, there will be a microchip that's implanted under your skin. Could be your hand, could be your forehead, whatever. Um, so that you can't lose it. And if you think that sounds too futuristic, many, I think many of you know it's, we already have the technology for that. We already have it. Uh, uh, in fact, in August of this year, the Today Show ran a segment about a company in Wisconsin that was microchipping their employees so that they could, you know, just uh, instead of having an ID badge or having to you know, use a key card to swipe for, to get an access to a room or to a building. You know, for the company, they just wave their hand in front of the scanner, and it opens the door, and it lets them in. Um, and, and they even showed a guy who was using it, walked up to a vending machine, made a choice of what he wanted, put his hand in front of the machine, and out comes the candy bar or whatever it was. Right? It's, we, we have the technology. And I don't want to say that. I don't want to frighten anyone. I don't want to alarm any. I just want us to realize that the time to decide who we're going to serve is now. It really is. Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve mammon? Because Jesus said you can't serve both. And the time to decide isn't like someday in the future. Boy, well, will they approach me and tell me, you know, that I have to receive this thing and, you know, implant and uh, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say no. No, baloney. Here's the thing. If we struggle with trusting, learning to trust God with our finances now, then what makes us think that we're going to be able to trust Him when we can't even go to the grocery store without selling out to the spirit of mammon? See, that's what I'm talking about. The time to learn to trust God with our finances.
is now. Not someday that we see as often in the future when we'll have to make this choice. Okay, you make this choice and, and you receive this thing or you're not going to be able to buy anything. Do we think we're all of a sudden going to be filled with faith then? When we have trouble trusting God for the smaller things now? The time to decide who we're going to serve is now. The spirit behind money is ruining people's lives. Like I said, it's the number one cause of divorce in this country. The spirit of mammon, it's controlling our nation. And that's why so many people are bothered by whenever a, a pastor preaches about money, for some reason, it bothers a lot of people. And I get, I get that, because I was there. I was there. I, I, I still, I don't like to preach about it. I'll tell you right now. I don't like preaching this message. But I have responsibility to. The reason that it's resisted is because of the influence of that spirit on our lives. I want you to th think about it. Something that affects every single one of our lives, something about which Jesus spoke a lot. So why do we resist hearing it taught in church? See, money lures people into its control, and it does it by promising three things, three things that really only God can give. Three things that money or the spirit of mammon promises. One is security. It says you can be secure if you just have enough money, but the fact is it's a lie. This is, why, this is what God says in Proverbs. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. It's the exact opposite of what money promises us. We need to listen to what God says and let that shape our attitudes and thoughts about money. Hebrews 13 says this, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. I mean, so in Jesus, we have everything that we need. He is the one that supplies. Not our job, not our, 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 our paycheck. He is the one that supplies everything that we need says, so that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Our security does not come from our money. It does not come from our job. It does not come from politicians. It does not come from policies that are, that, that are made. Security only comes from our relationship with God, His presence in our lives. Second promise that money makes is that of identity. Because we're told the way to become somebody is by acquiring more things, more wealth, more money. Then you become important. The way to become somebody is to obtain wealth and position and power. But Jesus says this in Luke 12, 15. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, society tends to put way too much stock in a person's financial status. But it's all a lie. It's all a sham. Those things do not determine money, position, power. Those things do not determine who we really are. You know who does? God does. A few years back, Jim Carrey said this. You know the great 
comic theologian, Jim Carrey. Remember him? You know, um, yeah. He said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Sounds like somebody who's been there, right? See, that's not where we get our identity. Our identity comes from God, comes from the one who created us, comes from the one that formed us in the womb. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Tomorrow besides being my uh, dad's birthday and uh, first anniversary of my mom's passing. Um, tomorrow is the 45th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We need to realize in this country that all life is precious. And not only do we need to realize it in this country, we need to realize it in this room. You need to realize that your life is precious. Your life is precious. You are not an accident. Your parents may or may not have planned you, but God's the one who created you in the womb, who knit you together in, in your mother's womb because He wanted you here. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God created you, and he determines your identity and has a purpose for you. And no man has a right to thwart God's purposes, either at the beginning of your life, at the end of life, or anywhere in between. God is the one who gives life and he's the only one who has the right to determine when it should end. He determines when our life begins and ends, and he determines who we are, who he wants us to be. We get our identity from him, not from any kind of money, power, status, anything else. It comes from him. Third promise money makes and fails to deliver on. Happiness. Happiness. Money says, you get enough of me, and boy, are you going to be happy. It amazes me how many people think if they just had more money, they'd be happy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, those who love money will never have enough. So if money makes you happy, if that's really what we, makes us happy, we'll never be happy. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How meaningless. I don't care how much money you have, it'll never make you happy. And the sad fact is a lot of people don't really get that. In fact, I think most people think if I just had a little more money, I'd be so much happier. Not true. Now, it might solve some of your problems, it would certainly you know, solve some things in my life. It might solve some of our problems, but it will never make us happy. It can't do that because that's not what you're made for. You can be the wealthiest person in the world and still be miserable and empty because money cannot fill that void. Only God can. Only God can fill that void that's inside of us. So how can we be happy? Well, Romans 4, verses 7 and 8 says this, Happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sins are pardoned, 
Happy is a person whose sins the Lord will not keep account of. Happiness comes from knowing your sins are forgiven. All the wrongs you've ever done. Happiness comes because you're living in relationship with Christ and you have His presence in your life. When the weight of sin and guilt is lifted off of you and just drops to the floor, that's when you're really happy. See, it's a matter of putting first things first. It's, the issue is not how much money we have. The issue is, are you walking in relationship with God? You weren't created for money. You were created because God wants relationship with you. That's why you were created. So let me ask, do you want to be made new in the area of your finances? Do you want the spirit of God on your money or the spirit of mammon? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires. It's talking about the spirit of mammon here. Many foolish and harm, harmful desires which pull them down to ruin and destruction. For the love of money or the spirit of mammon, the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it that they've wandered away from the faith and have broken their hearts with many sorrows. In uh, January of 2016, New York Daily News reported on a poll that showed what Americans would be willing to do for money. You want to hear what they found? You can probably guess some of this. 6% would commit murder for $1 billion. For the same amount, 10% would be willing to commit arson, treason, armed robbery, mug someone with a weapon, or even assist a suicide. 1 in 10 would enter a sham marriage for $100,000. 1 in 10. Say, I'd marry somebody, just a sham marriage. Give me $100,000 and yeah, what's it matter? It's 1 in 10. 15% would shoplift for $1,000. 15% would fake their own death for $100 million. One in five. Now, you know, that's 20%. One in five would flash a stranger for $10,000. And there's a lot of other stuff we won't get into. Um, 20% would be willing to forge a signature to steal from a restaurant or hotel for $100,000. And it goes on and on. All kinds of, I just chose some of the choice ones there. Illustrates what we just read from the Apostle Paul. The love of money is the source of all kinds of evil, and some have been so eager to have it that they've wandered from the faith and broken their hearts with many sorrows. So how do we break free from the grip and the influence of the spirit of mammon. How do we get God's spirit on our finances? I'm going to give you three questions. I've been giving you questions every week in this series. I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself. One, am I returning the first? And I, am I returning the first? See, we put God first in our finances. When Lisa and I sit down to work our budget every pay period, the first thing that comes out is that tithe, that first 10%. Every single time for years 
over the years, several people have asked me about tithing. They said, well, I don't know if I can afford to give 10%. That's what the tithe is. The Bible teaches a tithe, which is we return, not we give, we return 10% to the Lord of what, he's already, what He gives us, okay? And they say, well, I don't know if I can afford to give 10%. And, you know, I can understand that. I can remember thinking that way. There's a reason for asking, am I returning the first? See, here, here's the deal. Think about this. If we can't afford to return 10% of what God's given us back to Him, it's because we're not putting Him first. Not just in priority, but in practice. In practice is what I mean. When you've got $100 in front of you, okay, you've got 10 tens in front of you, it's easy to take one of those $10 bills and say, here, Lord, have this. This is yours, so here, have it. It's, it's, it's relatively easy to do that. But when you wait until you start paying all your bills, you've got to buy food, you've got to put some away for the house payment, and all that, it's really hard to get to the end and give $10 of what's left, if there is even $10 left. So Lisa and I decided years ago that minimum 10% comes out right away before taxes, before house payment, before food, before utilities, before anything else. Because for one thing, it's not ours to spend in the first place. It belongs to the Lord. Scripture teaches it already belongs to the Lord. So we just hand it back to Him. See, the Lord is the source of all, our, all of our income. And He just says, return 10% back to me, and you can use the 90% to do whatever you need to do. See, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. The first fruits go to the Lord, not the leftovers. And that's really no different than any other area of our lives. We give Him the best, the first, not what's left over. If you wait to give the Lord the leftovers of any area of your life, you won't have anything left over. It just works that way. But if you give Him the first, if you give Him the first, it has a way of working out. See, the spirit of mammon that's in us and that's in our society fights that tooth and nail. Every single one of us has felt that struggle. It fights us tooth and nail. See, it's not about our money. It's about our heart. It's the principle of putting God first in every single area. Deuteronomy chapter 14 says this, You must set aside, uh, set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. That was their income, their crops. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God or to revere the Lord your God. See, the tithe teaches us to revere the Lord, to put our trust in Him, not in the spirit of mammon. Next question in this is this, am I stewarding the rest? It's not enough to just say, okay, here, Lord, I'm returning the first 10%. Am I stewarding the rest? Steward means to manage. The 90% that God says is mine to use, what am I doing with it? Do I even know where it's going? Am I even aware? 
See, the fact is that 90% well-managed will go a whole lot farther than 100% poorly managed. So it's imperative that we learn to manage it well. We learn to steward it well. And that brings in, in a ver- I'm going to get very practical, you know what that brings in? The B word. You know what the B word is? Who can tell me what the B word is? Budget. Yeah. Who likes to budget? No one. No one. Who does? You're a one in a million, Rayetta. <clears throat> because most of us don't like to budget. And, and the fact is, too, schools don't teach us how to budget. Usually our families don't teach us how to budget. Usually it's, you know, we don't learn how to budget until years later when we realized, um, I better get a handle on things. Because it's not something that, that, we're, in, that we're, we're taught to do. People talk about it. Oh, yeah, i got to work a budget. Oh, yeah. But do most people know how to do it? No. I want to encourage you, if that's you, get help with it. Learn it. Talk to somebody. Pick up some resources on it. Join a class. Do something so that you can make the 90% do everything that it needs to do. If you want a couple of references, I would highly recommend... Total, the book Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey or his Financial Peace University class. We've offered that uh, here before and we're going to be offering it again in the future. Um, uh, uh, excellent resources or he's got a budget online at everydollar.com or the EveryDollar app that you can download for your phone. Simple, easy to use budget that will help you to take a look at what you have, a look at your expenses and then tell every dollar where it needs to go. So you're managing it well. You're stewarding it well. You're not just buying on impulse all the time or doing comfort spending or all these things that, that really um, uh, steal and rob us of so many of our resources. Learning how to manage it is important. Otherwise, we're always going to be under its, uh, its, its tight grip. So, you know, but when you learn how to manage it well, there's, there, there's freedom. And then we can be trusted with it. Jesus said in Luke 16, said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if, you have, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? In other words, if you don't manage it well, in a little bit, with a little bit, how are you going to manage greater amounts more? You know, either we're trustworthy with it or we're not. The amount doesn't matter. Because if we can be trusted with a little, then we can be trusted with much. If we can't be trusted with little, we can't be trusted with more. But if being trustworthy is a part of our character, then yeah, we can be. Can I get political for just a minute? We've got people on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, but I just want to say something. There's been a lot of discussion the last couple of years about, well, what difference does a candidate's personal life make as long as they can do their job, right? How many are familiar with that? Hold on. What difference does a candidate's personal life make as long as they can do their job? Well, according to Jesus, all the difference in the world. Because if a person isn't trustworthy, if they don't have integrity in their personal life, then they can't be trusted in the public arena. 
And if you go by that, you got a whole lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle. They're going to have to make room for somebody else. If we can find them. <coughs> Was that amen for if we can find them? Or, yeah, we need to find them. Okay, three. Third question, am I focusing on true riches? So here's the deal. Our money is just a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. When a builder builds a house, then, you know, he, he uses many different tools. But the tool's not his focus. The focus is what he's there to do, to build a house. A, 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 a builder goes to build a house and he starts cutting lumber for the framing of that house. He uses a circular saw, and you know he does. He is like, man, this circular saw. Oh, it is so awesome. Oh, it is so great. You know, this is his name's Tim Taylor. It's so powerful. It's you know, and and his focus isn't on that saw. His focus is on using it to do what he's there to do to build the house. And when it's time to be done with the circular saw and move to another tool, then he does that. Okay. Money cannot be our focus, ever. It's just a tool to do what God had put us here to do. Listen to Matthew chapter. Or listen to Jesus in Matthew six. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths can steal them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How do we store up treasures in heaven? By sending them ahead of us, right? Okay, how do we do that? By investing it here on earth in God's kingdom. We're doing that when we're feeding the poor. We're feeding the hungry, helping the poor, healing the sick, um, uh, uh, freeing the oppressed restoring those who are marginalized and the outcast, welcoming the alien, supporting his work here and on the mission field, using it to do the work that Jesus left us here to do. See, God cares about this thing called our finances. He really does. And he knows your struggles. He knows, how you, he knows when you lay awake at night, unable to sleep because you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Everybody been there, done that? Yeah, I think we all have. He knows that. But even more important than that, he cares about whom you choose to serve. See, and we're tested in this. We're tested in this through our financial struggles. But who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve Jesus, the true God, or are we going to serve the God of mammon? What is going to control our lives? You decide. Because you can't do both. Can't serve both. I want to give... I want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. I know if some of you, many of you have decided long ago, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve Him. 
and I'm not going to let money control my life. I'm not going to give in to the spirit of mammon. I'm going to serve God with every area of my life, including my wallet. Now you struggle with it, as all of us do. It's constant, something that powerful. It's a constant struggle in our lives. But I know a number of you, uh, many of you have, 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 have made that decision. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Full surrender to Jesus. Some of you still need to make that choice. Some of you may not have surrendered any part of your life to Jesus. Not just, you know, let alone your finances. There's other areas where it's like, hey, I'm going to live this area the way I see fit. Not, not, um, not how that pastor says I should. Not how I read in the Bible. Not what Jesus says. And that's your choice. But I want to give you an opportunity right now. If God's speaking to your heart and he's, you hear him calling you and saying, I want full surrender right now. Then I want to ask you to just slip up your hand right where you are. Yeah, several. Several. I want to invite you to pray with me. Because it's hard. It's hard to lay down your life. It's hard to, to, to raise that white flag and say, I surrender. I mean, it's easy when we think, oh yes, I want God's forgiveness. I want to live in, in, you know, forever with Him in heaven and all of that. But when we think about how that affects the, um, the, the daily decisions of our lives, surrendering the different areas of our lives, then it's a different story. So let's just give it to him now. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you now in full surrender. That includes my family, my career, my identity, my finances, my daily choices. Everything I do, I yield it to you. I recognize I need your help. So give me grace. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. And have mercy on me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now you will be challenged. Every one of us. I had a pastor say to me once years ago, he said, every time you make a commitment to the Lord, it will be tested, it will be challenged. So the time to decide is up front. Because otherwise, if we wait till the moment, we don't have the strength. So, let's stand. I'd like to invite the worship team.